When Denzel first suggested that we interview authors uh, singly, um, just to break things up, uh, and he gave me a list, one of my first uh, tasks was to interview Neil Broadfoot. And my first question was, who? Then, of course, I realised that uh, I've known him for quite some time, and he is a direct cause of many of my grey hairs. How are you doing, Neil? <laughs> well, I was fine until I got such a wonderful intro from you, but now I'm starting to wonder. Although, well, yeah, the hair, me losing my hair in direct correlation with how many years I've known you. Hmm. Maybe something. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to uh, have that excuse, but for that one, you go. Um, now, so, Neil, the, the, apart from the fact that we know each other, uh, and we know each other quite well, and we've worked with each other um for, for quite a few years, if if you can call four blokes in search of a plot. Um, <laughs> yes, sticking around for fun. I yes, yeah. I, I prefer to think of it as a complete utter farago. Mm-hmm. Uh, go and look Martin, that up. What? I like so, that. Uh, what, you, you have a book coming out, I understand? I do. I do indeed, it will be out on the 7th from all good online outlets, because we're not buying from bookshops at the moment, physically bookshops. But it's yeah. No Place to Die, which is out on the 7th, and it's the second in the Connor Fraser series. So it's back to Sterling and back to killing people. Well, that's not like you at all, is it? Because, you know, you are such a gentle creature. I, I am known for my generosity of spirit and kindness. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. you walk about the countryside smelling the flowers and, and hugging the trees. Until such time as I am introduced to you, and then something just, a switch goes in my head. <laughs> so tell us about the new book um, As I said, it's the second uh, thriller based on, in Stirling and features Connor Fraser a former Northern Ireland uh, police officer turned security consultant This time round, Connor Remember the days when we could gather in groups and go to the pub and you know see people and stuff like that? Well, um, it's back to those golden days when Connor is taken into run security on a self-development weekend that's happening in a hotel in the outskirts of Stirling. And me being me, things go quite badly wrong fairly quickly, and Connor has to try and figure out what the hell's going on before he becomes the next victim. Okay. And as you say, this is, this is the second? This is the second to follow up to No Man's Land, which, like yourself with Thunder Bay, was nominated for the McIlvany last year. Yeah, yeah, I knew you would drop that in there. I didn't need to say it, you know. I knew you would do it. Well, you uh, so how many mention your book? So you know, <laughs> but of course, you know, you're no stranger to being um, nominated for awards because it's happened to you before, hasn't it? It has. Uh, Falling fast. My first book was nominated for the Deanston Award, which was the Bloody Scotland Book of the Year Award back in was it 2014, um, and I was also nominated for the Dundee International Book Prize. For falling fast, so yeah, not won anything yet, which would be no. nice. But you know, I'm 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 getting close. Like yeah, yeah. So I mean, the thing about, of course, your 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 first trilogy, um, the the uh, the Doug and Susie books. Yes, uh, they're, they're still available, aren't they? They're available again on ebook, and actually, I've just made falling fast the first one free um, on Kindle. If anybody would like to try it, because I think we all need more to read at the moment. Um, but yeah, they're still all available on Kindle for download, and there's three in the series, which is Falling Fast, The Storm, and All the Devils, which follows the exploits of an investigative journalist called Doug McGregor and his best frenemy, DS Susie Drummond. The thing about you and your books is that 
let's be perfectly honest, they can be pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said earlier, you know, you're a gentle soul, smelling the flowers, hugging the tree, <laughs> you know, um, you know, reciting poetry as, uh, as you as you wander about in a caftan. <laughs> so how? <laughs> There's an image. <laughs> How do you, how do you conjure up you know these quite you know visceral uh, images uh, and highly descriptive uh, scenes? Good question. Um, Carol Ramsey asked me this, and I'll be completely honest. <laughs> I've got no I've got no idea how I do it. It just I, I, a scene or an image pops into my head. I mean, the first one, falling fast, how this all started. That was triggered by pure frustration i was trying to get published and i was thinking how do i write a book that's going to get me published so i can honor this promise i made to my grant to dedicate my first book to great and i was walking around edinburgh and i was so hacked off that i looked at the scott monument and it was a beautiful sunny day and everybody was having lunch out in prince street gardens below the monument and i suddenly thought i'm going to throw somebody from the top of the scott monument and see what happens and that's all i had was that one scene and obviously something like that's pretty violent and visceral. So I wrote it that way and just went from there. But that's how it happens. I just These ideas just come to me when I'm walking around. For example, the first Conor Fraser book starts uh, with a body, a decapitated body being found up at the top of the town where they play the football match every year. And that came to me purely because I was sitting watching the football match and I suddenly thought this would be a great place to dump a body. Even better, this would be a, pl- a great place to dump a decapitated body let's go play with that and from there the book was formed just to be clear gentle listeners uh, when neil says that he i am going to throw a body off the top of the scott monument he wasn't actually going to do it himself well, he wasn't if I knew you at that time and i had you a hand i probably would have <laughs> he wasn't going to climb the scott monument and grab a, a random tourist <laughs> and, and put the theory of flight to test uh, he was like talking about in fiction uh, just, just i just wanted to clean that up we should clarify, <clears throat> if anybody does read The Start of the Storm, that's a completely fictional assassination of an editor. Completely. <laughs> so what about inspiration? Do you, do you believe in inspiration? Um, we've had this conversation before. I think Stephen King says it's the boys in the, in the basement are always there and working. And I think as writers, we're naturally magpies. We're naturally walking around and we're seeing things and we're recording snippets. I mean, my phone is full of notes where I see something and I'll write an idea down. And we just see the world in words. And sometimes you're not consciously thinking about it, but something will come along and it will trigger something else. And that will start a train of thought going and then you follow it from there. So, yeah, I think I think the antenna are there. They're always kind of up and twitching and looking for things, even if you're not consciously aware of it. And something will click and that will give you the germ of an idea. And then James Oswald says it's like taking a small problem and worrying it into a big problem. And that's effectively what writing is for me because I don't plan anything. I just take the story and run with it. So uh, were there any particular uh, challenges, different challenges to writing Connor than, say, write the Doug and Susie books? Yeah, I mean... When I came up with Connor, um, I instantly thought, right, okay, I want to put this boy in Sterling because nobody's ever written a real series in Sterling. I could, you know, an ongoing crime thriller series in Sterling, and I thought, right, this is 
untapped territory. I like this, but I don't live in Stirling, so I had to get to know the area quite well. The other thing is that Connor's a very different beast from Doug in that he's a lot more decisive, he's a lot more physically imposing, he's a lot more highly trained. So I had to learn all that stuff. But then, as Chris Brookmeyer says, we're all graduates of the University of Making Shit Up, which is what we do. So you can take a bit of poetic license with things. And as long as you give it that veneer of reality, you're okay. But yeah, there was things that I had to learn about, you know, self-defense techniques, firearms, um, the usual fun stuff about, you know, if you decapitated somebody, what would happen other than obviously they would die, but, you know, blood loss, stuff like that. So yeah, there was the usual challenges with that, but that's part of the job, and it's the fun part of the job as well. Mm-hmm. I have what same question to you while we're here. Hang on. What? I mean, you're not a 20-something-year-old woman unless you're sitting there on the other end of this phone in a full dress, makeup. God, there's a scary thought. Um, how did you tackle those challenges? Well, as for the, the, the full dress and makeup, it's not Saturday yet. Um, you in the walk in I don't know. I mean, it, it's um, it, she's a character, and she's a character that I created, um, and that that's the only way. That's the only way that I can explain. It. You know, I I was concerned. Um, that I wouldn't pull it off and that, that people would say, oh, no, she doesn't come across as believable. But I, I think I'm kind of lucky that I did. But the one big rule whenever a man is is writing about a woman uh-huh. is don't have her looking in the mirror and admiring herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are women that do that, just as, as there are men that do that. Um, but, you know, don't, don't do it in, in book form. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just treat her as any other character um that, that comes out of of uh, my, my often fevered imagination uh, and hopefully you know they work uh and and thankfully rebecca does seem to have worked well, i mean the books you know the books do really hang on her and she has a yeah. character i think the thing is i can't remember who said this but you're not writing a strong female character you're writing a strong character who happens to be female and you've got yes. the point just right Yes. God, I actually said something yeah. nice about you, and people are going to hear this and kill it. Yeah, no, I know, because you know, this doesn't get edited, as, as, as a regular listener knows. She, she's a nice <laughs> She's a nice lady. She puts up with a lot. Um, okay, continue. Continue. I'll get the insults in later on. Don't worry. I'll, I'll redress the universal balance. Don't you worry. <laughs> it helps, you know, that we've got people trapped in their houses now. Because <laughs> they can't get away. So... Um, I, I think actually, you know, um, you know, Denzel planned all this just so that, that people would have to listen to his books. But anyway, um, so speaking of the hi- isolation, how are you coping with this? Not bad. I mean, it, it's not the easiest trick in the world when you've got a six-year-old daughter and three collies who you now are meant to walk on a lead. Um, it's not... I'm lucky that I just... I snuck in the next Connor book, which is out next year, I snuck that in just under the wire of this happening. So I managed to get that done. And editing for me is always an easier prospect than actually writing a book. I don't know if it's the same with you. Um, but once I've got the draft out of the way, now I've got the edits coming back so I could focus on that. Trying to write anything new, my brain just can't fathom where we'll be in six months' time. So trying to reference any of this in my work yeah. at the moment, I'm finding a bit difficult. But other than that, 
I'm finding a lot of time to do a lot of DIY, which is not a good right. thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm just, you, you just got to try and take it one day at a time. You got to try and, you know, keep everybody in the house unstressed. I'm watching far too much Peppa Pig. And then I watch the programs that I've got to watch with Alex. So, you know, that, you know what that's like. Um, but I suppose the so one, you just, sorry, when you, you go, just watch, you watch Peppa Pig for your own enjoyment, don't you? Oh God, I am up an hour before her. She's up at oh, seven, I'm up at six watching Peppa Pig, getting my fix in, because that starts me off for the day. It probably yeah. also fuels the homicidal rage to write, <laughs> to write the violence that I do if I'm stoked up <laughs> on enough kids' programmes. <laughs> and you're doing some DIY. Yeah, I've got a few things around the house that I want to do, and I've got a bit of gardening. It's getting to that time of year, so it's basically painting, decorating, putting shelves in, um, changing rooms about. Um, yeah, and putting locks on the doors for the next time you come to visit. If we ever get <laughs> this quarantine zone again, if we ever get that that far, um, yep, that that will be necessary. So, um, do you know, I've forgotten what my next question is. Do you think? Uh, do you think we're going to see books set in in this period in in this in the isolation period? Crime books in particular. How do you think crime writers are going to approach this? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, I think Stuart McBride once said, if you ever want to read the social commentary or this, the living history of a time in a country, go and read the crime fiction and you'll get it. You can do that with Ian's books. You can go to the Rebus books and you can read them in order and you get a social history of Edinburgh running for 30 years. And it's great. And I think if you're doing contemporary, the problem that I've got at the moment is we don't know what this is going to be like at the end. All we know is that the normal that we knew before they started is gone. I mean, I, you know, they've just cancelled the Edinburgh Festival. Will they cancel Bloody Scotland? I hope not. But if Bloody Scotland does go ahead, you can bet your bottom dollar it's not going to be the Bloody Scotland that we knew last year or the year before. Yeah. As to how crime writers reflect that, I mean, I think it's only inevitable that there will be books, you know, in this time because it, it, <laughs> the thought that I had, as gruesome as it is, is this is the perfect cover for a serial killer. People are locked in their houses, so people could theoretically be killed and left in their houses for quite a long time and not be seen. And it would get the perfect cover for a killer, whether they be a serial or whether they be somebody with another, you know, a darker agenda, dotting around the houses, killing people quite happily with impunity because everybody's locked in and the streets are empty. So I think, yes, I think you are going to see books in this. And I think... If anybody's writing contemporary fiction, they're going to have to reflect this, whether it's just a passing mention or whether it's something, you know, more thorough, they're going to have to deal with this. I mean, look at, for yourself, how is Rebecca going to deal with this? Because she can't go out and do stories now. She can't yeah, see that, that's the issue. Yeah, that's the issue, because I'm, I'm, I'm supposedly writing the third book mm. just now. So how um, do you reflect this? Have you decided that yet? Or are you still trying to work yeah. it out? Still trying to work it out, still trying to get it straight in my head, uh, because she can't do what she does under the current restrictions. Yes. Uh, it's just, it is impossible. So how do I get around that? And of course, the next book won't be out until next year, so theoretically it will be set next year. Yep. Um, but even though the time is not actually stated, but we don't know what the world is going to be like yep. in a year's time. 
Uh, and that, that's the issue that, that, that I am facing, and I'm sure other authors. But of course, um, the two authors are way ahead of us. Um, the, the, the big one, of course, is Leslie Kelly, mm-hmm. who has, has had a series out about um, a, a, a post-virus uh, a post-virus world set in Edinburgh. Yeah. And Peter May was 15 years ahead of us with, with one of his books, which has just been re-released, called Lockdown, I think it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, and I think there is a serial killer in, in that one. I might be wrong. But uh, so, so you know, the, the creative minds, I mean, how Peter May knew this was going to happen, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I think we are going to see a lot. The, the problem is we might see too much of it. And I've already noticed in social media that, you know, some people have posted questions, you know, do you want to see that? And a lot of readers have said, no, they don't want to see that. They don't want to be reading about the, the pandemic or the virus. Yeah, uh, and uh, that 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 is something that authors are going to have to address. I think, yeah, I think the thing is, you're going to have to reflect it in some way because something this massive, it's not like the Bobby Ewing in the shower scene where you know we all wake up, go to the shower, he turns around and goes, "Good morning," and oh god, it never happened. This is something that has profoundly reshaped how we live our lives, and it's going to have to be referenced in some way. The the trick is. How heavily do you reference it? Yeah, yeah. I think we're too we're too near the start of it, unfortunately, to get a view of how the end's going to look and how the world's going to look when this is over. Yet, yeah. God, that was it's for us. It was yes. Anyway, Connor, Connor, you. This is the second book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've told there's a third one. Uh, already written. Yep. This is how I get confused because I tend to read your books. When I say this, but I said, "Wait, wait a minute. Which one is this?" Yeah. Uh, well, so so I'm doing publicity like this for No Place to Die just now, but yeah. I'm also talking to my publisher about edits for The Point of No Return, uh-huh. which is out in September. But I'm also talking to my publisher about the books after that. Yeah. So. I'm kind of juggling three books at once at the moment, so I'm getting very confused. Yes, yes. Uh, and you're no spring chicken, you know, so it has to be said. So it's very easy for you to get confused. Unlike me, you know, the Peter Pan of Scottish crime fiction. Uh, however, you misspelled Peter Pan as Methuselah there, old man. <laughs> moving swiftly along. <laughs> uh, what do you, what's, the, what's the thing that you like most about writing? Um, having written, <laughs> I think we've had this conversation. I, I'll be honest. I've always said that it's a job that never feels like work. But at the end of the day, it is a job and it is work. But it's just, it's just something that's bred into you. You try and walk away from it in points of frustration, going, "No, stuff it. This isn't working. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go and get on with my life." But nothing beats that feeling you get when you have written a book and you have pulled it off again and managed the trick of putting 100,000 words down. And there's the simple pleasure of seeing your book in print. I mean, I know we're not going to get that just now, but going into a bookshop and seeing your latest book on a shelf is a thrill that never gets old. And I think that's the key of it. You know, writing can be a hard slog because at the end of the day, you're sitting locked in a room on your own, pounding words out onto a page. But the act of having done writing, nothing comes close to me. Yeah. And what was the thing that you you hate most about writing? Writing. 
<laughs> when it's not going easy, you know what it's like. You'll start oh, yeah. a book, and especially because I don't plan, you'll get thirty to 50,000 words in, and you'll go, what the hell is going on here? And after they kind of do the mental gymnastics, and as you said, I'm no spring chicken, um, and I'm sure that knowing you has reduced my IQ significantly over the years as well. Um, I should probably sue you for an industrial injury for that. Weight <laughs> uh, cells did I lose being the back end of that pantomime horse in Dumfries? Yes, uh, yeah, well, you know. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're always good at typecasting with carry-on slithing. <laughs> Thanks for that, old man. Thanks. Um, <laughs> right into slog at times, it is. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it, it's not... I know that there's a... I always had this preconception that it was this massively glamorous thing and, you know, Stephen King would just sit in effortlessly, pound the book out and then be on the shelves and whatever. But it's not. It is work. So it is hard graft. Um, so that's the thing I hate about it is the fact that it is that isolationist thing we are when you're in the middle of a draft. It just kind of overtakes your world. But that's the flip side of it is that you're escaping into that world as well. So the thing you hate about it is the thing you love about it, for me anyway. What about the the writing approach? Because obviously in Four Blokes we have this issue with with uh, our, our Four Bloke compatriot, Mark Leggett, where he, out of the four of us, he is the only planner. Uh-huh. Uh, the rest of us are, are pantsters. Do you ever wish that you could actually plan the book beforehand? Absolutely not, because my agent, I just I recently moved agents, and we were discussing the standalone idea that I had, uh, and he said, right, do me an outline. And I've never done an outline in my life. I've done a couple of blurb synopsis, which I then don't stick to, and maybe a couple of opening chapters, and I'm away to the races. But he wanted a, an almost act-by-act, scene-by-scene breakdown of this high-concept thriller idea that I came up with. And I did it, and I've got to say it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Because I just like, I like yourself, because I completely wing it which is the right way to do it, Mark, if you're listening. You really need to give up on that crap. Um, I just think it. I just, I just go with the flow. I'll have an idea, I'll have a line, I'll have a sentence, I'll have a scene, and I'll let the book take me where it may. And that's what gets me through a book, because I don't know what's happening, so I'm telling the story as much to myself as to anyone else. And trying to actually plan it was, honestly, it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life, and I wouldn't want to do it again. I prefer to just run with it. Do you think that's part of the, you know, because you you, you were a journalist um, yeah. betrayed, do you think maybe that's a, a part of that? And do you think maybe being a journalist has helped you with, with the writing at all? It, uh, yeah, I suppose it does. I mean, you're flipping the story on the head because in journalism, obviously, you tell the story in the intro. Yeah. Whereas in a book you flip it so you're teasing the story and you're telling the story at the end and you're doing the big reveals at the end but I suppose what journalism does is you'll be the same because you're a journalist yourself um, is that it teaches you writing as a job first and foremost if you've got a word count to hit you'll hit it and because I've had my head kicked in by editors over the years both literally and physically um, <laughs> um you know, it, it takes the ego out of the editing process. If somebody turns around and says, that's a piece of crap that you've just written, you're less likely to kind of swoon and go, oh, but my baby's my work. You'll just get on with it and do it as a job. So I suppose it does, you know, it, it does inform it to that level. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I'm making up completely fictional stories here, not based on anybody that I happen to know at all. Uh, so, you know, there is that. And do you think we'll ever see a Neil Broadfoot love story, you know, being written? You know, Neil Broadfoot does Mills and Boone. Douglas, come on, right? You know me. Have you just gone completely, has your brain completely rotted in splendid isolation? Do you honestly think I'm the man to write a romance novel? Well, you never know. I think the start of No Place to Die is the closest I'm ever going to get to romance and intimacy. <laughs> is, is, there, is there anything else that you would like to write other than other than crime or thrillers? And, and, and just to be just just to be clear, I, I crime and thrillers are the same to me. I, I don't really differentiate. So, do you think there would is there is anything else that that you would like to write? I do actually owe my oldest friend a horror novel because we grew up. And this probably explains part of my writing. We grew up in the 80s on, you know, 80s horror movies and movies like Robocop and Predator and the Amityville Horror and all this type of stuff. Um, and I cut my teeth on Stephen King. And Joe, who did the covers for my first three books, uh, was the first guy who read a story of mine and went, you've got something there. And I always said that I'd write him a horror story, a real proper horror novel. So I've got that running around in my head. So yeah, I'll probably go and do that at some point. But Again, it depends on what the story is. The Hitsy, the one thing I can guarantee is there will never be a Neil Broadfoot romance book. Well, just just get your friend to come along to a Four Blokes show. That can be pretty horrific. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're in America at the moment in the midst of lockdown, so we'll have to get the US tour done when we're over, when this is all over. Well, we're, we're kind of talking about maybe doing a, a virtual one that we've still got to work out how to how to do it but uh as you know we're having a, a chat uh, in the next couple of days uh, mm -hmm. to see if we can try and do it online somehow um but you know you said that you cut your you cut your teeth in stephen king did he not object to you coming along having a nibble at him i mean that's that's a bit much in the poor guy <laughs> well you know if, well, i know you i know you like I know you like him, but give him a love bite. Come on, for goodness sake. Are you trying to imply something there? Are you trying to imply some illicit tryst between me and the King of Horror? So I've got to now write the story. My night, my seedy nights with the King of Horror. I, 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 I wouldn't be, I wouldn't involve Mr. King in anything so seedy. It's, it's, you know, it's your fantasy you, that's a bit right. You're the one that started this. Just I, your, your fantasy. I used a perfectly benign and innocent phrase, cutting <laughs> And you, as ever as you do with me, to try and twist it to ruin and sully my good reputation. It's disgraceful, <laughs> really. I mean, I'm jealous of you, you know. Oh, oh God. Oh, I've not laughed so much since Spanky the, the Cheeky Monkey was on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you can tell us about the third corner book? Um, Remind us the title again. That's called The Point of No Return. Um, this is the third book, which is building to the fourth book, obviously, which I really have to write uh, because I made a promise to an eight-year-old woman who said, can you tell us the backstory of Polly, please? I said, yes. <laughs> she said, is that the next book? And I said, no, it's the book after that. To which she then said, well, could you hurry up and write that one? Because I'm 80-odd years old and I might not be around to read it and I really want to know what the story is. So... <laughs> Um, the point of no pressure. The point of no return. 
um, will be the third Connor book that's out in September, as long as the virus doesn't screw up publication dates. And this time, basically uh, 15 years ago, there were two murders where students were snapped from Stirling University, uh, mutilated, assaulted, and then dumped. A man was found uh, for it, and he was tried, convicted, and sent away. And then they find out that the conviction might be unsafe. He is released. Connor is asked to do security for him, and no sooner does Connor start doing security for this guy and keeping him under lock and key, than another body is found mutilated in the same way as the victims from 15 years ago. But how can this guy be the killer if Connor's his alibi, is the question. Meantime, Connor is also trying to unravel a more personal mystery about his gran, his father, um, and his family history. And that all kind of sets up what's going to happen after that. And uh, me being me, there's bodies, there's chaos, there's mayhem. Um, and yeah, that's that's the point of No Return, which is out in September, which I'm doing edits on just now. Okay. Well, well, we'll look forward to that. Um, well, you've already read it. I have, I have, but you know, I, I didn't want to make anybody jealous, but knowing that I know how it ends. So at least I think I know how it ends. So that's where we have to leave it, I think. Uh, now, just remind us again about the one that's coming out now. No Place to Die, which is out um, on the 7th of this month, which is next Thursday. Okay. And it's available through all good online stores. All good online stores, all good, you can order it, you can order a physical copy from your local independent bookshop, which we all should be supporting at this point. Um, you can also order it from Waterstones, and yeah, or you can just have the ebook. And who's it published by? It is published by Constable. Constable. Can you order it straight from, direct from Constable as well? I wonder if you can. I pro you probably could. Um, yeah. That's terrible, I don't know if I can order my book from just, my publisher. So basically, folks, just order it from wherever you can. It's a, it is a damn good read. Thank you. That's the last you'll ever hear me say anything good about Neil Broadway. <laughs> Neil, thanks very much for coming on to Spooks. I hope it wasn't too much of an ordeal. Well, talking to you is almost, always an ordeal, but I got through it. <laughs> I'll just add it to my, when, my next counselling session when we're allowed out and I'm in therapy. Well, there was this time that skeleton, you know. <laughs> you've accused me of being Stephen King's stalker. You've said I might throw somebody off the top of the Scott Monument. You've given no, me the no. horrific thought of you in a dress. I, I was clarifying that you would not be throwing somebody off yeah, the top yeah, of the Scott Monument. Yeah, that's what you say. Well, that's what you say. The, the, <laughs> the, the listeners know that I'm just your guinea pig and, you know, your, your scalping boy as you've done. I cast me as the back end of a horse. Yes. Well, as I said, typecasting is everything. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, thanks very much. Thanks, old man. You take care. Douglas Skelton was talking to author Neil Broadfoot about his book No Place to Die, which is published today in paperback by Constable. Spooks was a Houses of Steel production.